about Jesus. And tonight I'm going to look at a passage from John 7, and you've got it there in your handout. Uh, John 7, I'm going to start at verse uh, 37. Let me get it out real quick. And I'll read it for us. This is God's Word. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And when they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. Let me pray for us, and I want to talk about what Jesus, the invitation that Jesus has for us in this passage. Let's pray first. Jesus, we thank you that that you love us and pursue us. Lord, some of us come and we feel we're hurting and disappointed. Because we have friends who have not loved and pursued us. And yet, we, Lord, I pray that you would meet us tonight as the friend of sinners. who The only one who ever loves and pursues us perfectly and to the end. And Lord, I pray that as we think about this passage, we think about uh, the invitation you offer to those people at that festival. Lord, that you would come by your spirit and offer that same invitation to us tonight. Some of us come and we're not sure what we think about you. Some of us come and, and we know you, but maybe we feel far from you. And Lord, would you be gracious to come and meet us wherever it is that we are tonight. Meet us where we are by your grace and do the things that we need you to do in our lives. We pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. When was the last time that you sort of felt so passionate or felt so moved or so excited about something that you literally, you just, you shout, you had to shout? Um, Maybe it was in Williams Bryce, like when the Georgia kicker missed that field goal he should have made. Maybe that was your moment. Maybe it was the moment where the girl or the guy you've had a crush on, you either asked out or they asked you out and said yes, and you had to just shout it out joyfully to your roommates. Uh, Or maybe you're like me and you've got a healthy uh, suspicion of anyone that gets too excited about anything, so you don't ever shout, which is sad. Um, You feel more like Eeyore when you watch Winnie the Pooh, and you wish you were Tigger inside, but you're still Eeyore. What I love about this passage, though, is Jesus feels so moved about something, that if, if, you, if you looked at the passage, it says he literally, amongst this huge crowd, this party, bigger than a party, this festival, he stood up and he cried, he shouted something. And he shouts this beautiful invitation. He says something about himself. And 
That's what I want to look at tonight. Three things as we kind of think about John 7, about this invitation that Jesus is so moved and excited and convicted and, and uh, has conviction about that he shouts to this crowd. Three things I want you to see. First, I want you to see who or whom he invites. Second, I want you to see what he offers. And then lastly, I want you to see uh, what it does in our lives. So first, who or whom he invites. Second, what he offers. And then thirdly, what it does when we begin to receive what he has to give us. So think with me first about who he invites, this great invitation that he gives to come and drink and have a, find a, a, a river that's like flowing living water flowing from your heart. Who does he invite? Now what you have to understand as we think about John 7 is you have to understand the context of what's happening. Like where is Jesus and what is this festival that he's at where he stands up and shouts this, this thing to the people? What you have to understand is he's at this thing called the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles was basically a time where God's people got together and they were celebrating the harvest. And they were kind of the harvest of olives and grapes and wheat and barley. They were kind of coming and they were celebrating two things. They were celebrating on the one hand, they were remembering God's faithfulness faithfulness to them in the wilderness. Literally where they tabernacled for 40 years. And God, in in that desert place, both fed them with manna, which we looked at, Will talked about two weeks ago. That Jesus is the true man of heaven. He's the bread of life. And then secondly, he, he, he gave them water. If you remember that scene where they cry out for water, they're thirsty, and he, Moses strikes the rock and water flows from it. And they're remembering God's faithfulness, but they're also celebrating God's faithfulness in the current harvest. The rains that he had sent, the harvest that they had reaped, that God had done this in their midst. And so this festival is a time of joy and celebration. But what's fascinating is every morning, this is what you have to get about what Jesus is doing and why it's so powerful. Every morning, though, a priest would take a golden pitcher of water, and he would take this pitcher of water to, the, to a basin by the, by the tabernacle, and he would pour this water into the basin. And as he poured it, the people would sing Psalm 113 to Psalm 118, and it was this joyful time of celebration as they remembered the way God poured out his blessings on his people. And this is where Jesus, the morning before they pour out, the, the priest brings the golden pitcher and pours out the water. Jesus stands up and says, this is about me. You want living water? You want to never be thirsty again forever. You want the blessings of God to flood your heart. Come and find your, and come and drink of me. Come and find your rest in me. Now, what was fascinating is I want you to think though who he's inviting. And there are kind of two things. If you look at the, if you were looking at it, two things that I think are huge to get. Anyone who thirsts. This is who's invited to come and drink of Jesus. Anyone who thirsts. Anyone. This is think about that for a second. Anyone. This is one of the things that I love about Christianity and I love about the gospel. Is anyone and everyone is welcome. Christianity is not, is not bound to a race. It's not bound to a religion. It's not bound to a religious culture. It's not bound to a region. It's not bound to a particular form of dress. It's not bound to any, anyone and everyone is welcome. It's not bound to a certain class of person. It's not bound to a certain kind of family. It's not bound to a certain sort of... It breaks all of that. It, it transcends all of that. I've got a friend who, he's getting ready to go do a PhD in Toronto. And he was telling me about Toronto. I know nothing really about it. But he was saying Toronto apparently is the most diverse city in the whole world. And he, you know, he, this is a guy who's been to New York, he's been to London, he's been all over the place. But Toronto, there's no place more diverse than Toronto. A few months ago he went to visit and he said he went in the subway, the, the transit system. And he said literally it was so incredible that there were people who were speaking languages. He had no idea what they were speaking there were people who he was looking at he had no idea where they came from. And the thought he had was this. This is exactly what heaven's going to be like. Where Revelation says there are people from every tribe and tongue. There's going to be this incredible diversity. Why? Because anyone is welcome to come and drink of Jesus. Anyone. But there's one condition. Anyone who 
thirsts. Anyone who knows their need, anyone who is needy and cries out because they know that they can't get, they can't do what they need Jesus to do in them. They know that they can't save themselves. They know that there's nothing they can do. They need a savior. So they cry out. In other words, to be thirsty is to know your need. We sing it sometimes in our EF when we sing, come you sinners. And we say, the only fitness he requires is to what? Is to feel your need of him. I love the way that Tim Keller says it. He says, to become a Christian, all you need is need. All you need is nothing. All you need is to know that you need someone to do in you what you cannot do for yourself. You need someone to come from outside of you and deliver you from your sins and to to deliver you from the bondage of them to set you free. And this is what Jesus is saying. You need to be thirsty. Another way Jesus says it in Revelation 3 is like this. And this is, I want you just to think about this. And the question I'm asking you is, are you thirsty? Here's what Jesus says about us as people. He says this, that we are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And Jesus is saying, those are the people that are thirsty. Those are the people that see their need for a savior. Those are the people who are led to cry out for Jesus. Those are the people who thirst. So my experience with football is football season. I love watching college football. My football career is very brief. I played in seventh grade. I quit my eighth grade year because I didn't like the coach. He moved me from fullback and defensive line to offensive line. And I was like, screw this. I'm not, there's no glory in offensive line. You don't even know, you can't even name an offensive lineman. Maybe you could, but that's how I felt. So seventh grade, this is my most vivid memory of football, was doing two-a-days. And, uh, you know, here at 13-year-old me, you know, we would, they would run us and run us and run us, and we would tackle and tackle and tackle. And we would, it was the the sun, the Sumter, South Carolina sun was beating down on us. And when we'd have like a a little five-minute water break, we would literally, we would rip off our helmets, we would run to this little, it was like a, kind of a a trough, I don't know, trough, I don't know how you say that. My plates with water. That's what you can do now. And it was like PVC pipe that had little holes cut. I mean, it was the most sort of just crappy thing, but water would kind of spew out of it. And we'd rip our helmets off and just put our mouths right up to this dirty, dirty PVC pipe and just drink in water. And when I think about that picture, that's why. Because I was dying. We were dying. I was dying of thirst. I was so dying of thirst, I was willing to get water where I could find it. And Jesus says, that's what it's like to be a Christian. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever been so thirsty that you can't find, nothing can quench it, and so you run, you run to Jesus? So first, who who does he uh, invite? He invites anyone who thirsts. Second, think with me for a second about what he offers. Because what he offers here is pretty incredible. He offers to quench our thirst in a way, our spiritual thirst, the thirst of our hearts, the thirst that leads us to look at porn, the thirst that leads us to be and stay in relationships we shouldn't be in. The thirst that leads us to, you know, to do what? To, to, to do things with food that we are ashamed of after we do them. The thirst that leads us to do all kinds of things that if people were to know, we'd feel ashamed about. This is the thirst, Jesus says, if you come to him and drink, will be quenched. Will begin to be quenched in you. And that's the, that's the offer. But here's kind of a couple things about thirst. Uh, three kind of categories when it comes to thinking about the way that we do spiritual thirst. It's the way that we do real thirst. And think about it like this. Some don't realize how thirsty they are. Some of you don't realize that you're thirsty. You know, so I was looking today, I was just kind of doing some research on how people die of dehydration, which was not, not the highlight of my day, to be honest with you. Pretty depressing. But 
the thing that was fascinating to me is sometimes the way it works is you don't re- – part of why you begin to really get into dangerous territory with dehydration is you don't really – thirst is not always a good indicator. Like you don't always feel thirsty. And they say the way you know it is you kind of look at the color of your urine. That's a better indicator, which was something I can't not know now. Um, and now you can't either, so join me. But the thing that was fascinating to me was simply this, is that sometimes you can be desperately, desperately thirsty – and not know it. The people around you probably know it, but you're not seeing it. You're not seeing how thirsty you actually are. Tom Hardy, I don't know if you're a Tom Hardy fan, he was Bane and Batman. He's done some incredible movies this year, but maybe he did recently, it's called The Drop. And he's done it with James Gandolfini, if you're a Sopranos fan, and it's a fantastic movie, but there's a line, he plays Gandolfini's cousin, and there's this line toward the end of the movie where his cousin, Gandolfini's about to do something really, really stupid, and he simply looks him in the eyes and he asks him a question. And he says, Marv, are you about to do something desperate? And it's stayed with me since I've seen it because sometimes that's the question for us. In our thirst, we do desperate things that lead us to be ashamed of what we've done. And sometimes we don't, as we do those things, realize how thirsty we really are for this living water Jesus is talking about. So some of us are, are thirsty and we don't realize it. But then others of us fall into a different category where we're thirsty but we're trying to quench it ourselves. We're looking to things to quench it, and it works for a little while, but it doesn't work in a lasting or satisfying way. You know, we, we look to things, or we're trying, we have strategies to, to quench our thirsty hearts. A few years ago, after Tom Brady won his third Super Bowl, he did this interview with 60 Minutes. Maybe you've heard about it, maybe you've read about it. It's a fascinating interview where he basically just gets really, really vulnerable about what it's like to be Tom Brady. Tom Brady, who's already won three Super Bowls. Tom Brady, who's in a committed relationship with Giselle. Tom Brady, who, you know, who has seemingly, from what we would think about as guys sometimes, every, what more could you want? And here's what he says in the interview. It's pretty fascinating. He said this. He said, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life, me. I think, God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. What's the answer? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. And I think he's talking about, this is the kind of thirst that Jesus says he can quench. The kind of thirst that still leaves us unsatisfied, even after accomplishing our dreams. Like, the thing that's fascinating about this Brady thing is he, he accomplishes dreams. Like, I don't know what your dreams are tonight. You all have them, spoken or not. Some, some of them I could predict. Like, some of you, I want to be married with 3.5 kids. <laughs> Three kids. <laughs> I want to live in this kind of house. Or maybe your dreams are more career-driven. I want to be this sort of person. And I want you to see, have dreams, absolutely. Have, have dreams. I pray that those dreams would be kingdom-minded, not selfish. Like, don't let your dreams be driven by money. Let your dreams be driven by the way the Lord's gifted you and the ways that you can impact the world for for the gospel. Absolutely. But please don't think that those dreams are going to satisfy you in the the way that Jesus only can. That's what's fascinating about Brady. He he got it, and yet he would say, I'm still thirsty. Why? Because he hasn't, to this point in his life, without knowing him or knowing his heart, he hasn't come to see this thirst that Jesus is talking about. This, this way that he quenches it, this living water that Jesus can give us. 
And Jesus is saying this. He's saying this to you and me tonight. He's saying, bring your thirsty hearts to me. And just think with me for a second. Bring them. He says two things in this, in this invitation. Come to me. This is the first one. Come to me. What quenches our thirst is not leading a new, more moral lifestyle. And beginning to do the things that you know you should do. That's, that's not what Jesus says quenches your thirst. What quenches your thirst is not that. What quenches your thirst is going to Jesus. You know, sometimes when we think about repentance, we talk about repentance. And sometimes I think we think repentance is turning from doing bad things to suddenly start doing good things. So if you're sort of caught in the party scene, you're like, I've got to stop doing five points and I've got to start going to church. And that will quench my thirst. Nope, it won't. Where I've got to stop doing this behavior and start doing these. I've got to start praying more. That's going to quench my thirst. Nope. Sure won't. Because Jesus says repentance is not going from doing something bad to doing something good. You know what repentance is? Turning from whatever it is that's life stealing and destroying to Jesus. And then Jesus leads you to do the things you need to be doing that will bring life into your life. And we miss that all the time. We think, nope, I've got to go from this to this And we miss Jesus. And Jesus says, come to me. I'm the only one who can forgive you. And I'm the only one that can fix this. Come to me. And then he says something fascinating. Come to me and do what? Come to me and drink. I love this image because sometimes I think we think faith is us coming to Jesus and giving him something. Jesus, here is my year's worth of Bible reading. Jesus, here is my faithful attendance to this church and ministry. Jesus, here is my good behavior. I haven't... We haven't crossed lines with my relationship in a week, two weeks, a month. Jesus, here. And Jesus says the image is not that. The image is not of you giving something to Jesus. The image is of you drinking of him. Literally, John says in John 1, Jesus came to bring grace and truth, fullness of, gra- fullness of grace, grace upon grace from which we have all received. You know what he's saying? You know what Jesus is going to pour into your life and it's going to pour into your heart? Is soul-quenching, heart-quenching grace upon grace upon grace. And he's going to meet you where you are, not where you should be. And he's going to do things to transform your heart in ways you couldn't believe. But he's going to do it himself as you come to him and drink deeply of him and receive from him. In other words, the image Jesus is giving is of me being desperate or you being desperately thirsty, filling a tall glass of water and just drinking it to the bottom so we feel quenched. And Jesus is saying that's what happens when you come and trust in me. And Jesus says on the entry, he says this living water that he offers is actually a picture of something. That he says it's actually, what I'm talking about is the Holy Spirit. Now it's interesting because sometimes we don't think of the Holy Spirit in this way. The Holy Spirit, if you think about it for a second, Jesus says this weird thing where he says that he's not fully here yet because I haven't been fully glorified. What in the world does he mean by that if you're looking at it? He means that a day is coming called Pentecost where Jesus, after he rises from the dead and ascends to heaven, is going to send his spirit and, and it's going to come in such a powerful way, whereas the people receive it, the people, they're so filled with joy that literally the crowd around them thinks they're drunk. That's how full of joy they are. But it's the same spirit that, that in the first place leads you to see your thirst. It's the same spirit who, as he leads you to see your thirst, he leads you to see the only one who can quench that thirst, Jesus. It's the same spirit who, as he works in your heart, not only leads you to see your thirst and where your thirst can be quenched, but he begins to change you. He begins to turn your heart from from something where it's taking and taking and taking to something that feels full and leads you into new ways and patterns of life. This Holy Spirit who floods your heart with the love of Jesus shown most beautifully at the cross. That's what the Spirit does in us. 
But before Jesus sends us that spirit, which is the living water that begins to, to fill us and quench the thirst that we have, Jesus says, I've got to be glorified, which means what? Jesus being glorified means three things. It means he's going to go to the cross, he's going to die, and he's going to rise again. That's the center of how Jesus is glorified. And what's fascinating is Jesus in this passage, this is what I love about this passage, is Jesus in this scene cries out. Like he's in the midst of this group of people and he cries out this invitation. And the last place he cries out before he dies is actually on the cross. And he cries, if you're looking at John 19, if you were to go there, he cries a simple cry. He says, I thirst. And as he says, I thirst, the soldiers who are mocking him, they take a, a, a stick and they wrap a sponge in the end of it. They dip it in sour wine and they stick it up to Jesus' lips. And what they're doing is they're mocking him because this sour wine quenches thirst for just a second that keeps the person alive so they would suffer more. And that's what they're doing. They want him to suffer to the fullest. And Jesus takes the sour wine to him and he takes it because he's going to cry one more thing. He cries, I thirst. They give him the sour wine. He gets enough moisture in his mouth to cry one more thing. And you know what the one more thing is? He cries, it is finished. It's a beautiful, it's beautiful. Because here, here's the gospel. Jesus died thirsty that you and I might never thirst again. Jesus died in thirst that you and I might know in our hearts as he gives his spirit, he pours out his spirit without measure in us, that our hearts might turn into rivers of living water flowing from inside of us because we've come to know the grace of Jesus shown most beautifully to us on the cross. So what will it do though? So first, who does he invite? Second, what does he offer? Thirdly, think with me just a second of what it does in our lives. Because Jesus says, come to me, drink, and what's going to happen? He says what happens is your heart will become, literally he says, from your heart will flow rivers of living waters. Now what's fascinating is Jesus is actually, he says, scripture has said, what he's quoting is a passage from Ezekiel 47, which is interesting. He's quoting this passage where if you were to go to it, Basically what's happening is God is taking Ezekiel around. And in this one scene, he takes him to the temple. And in this temple, Ezekiel sees this really super weird thing. He sees this massive river that is flooding the city. And as this river floods the city, a river, he says, you can't even cross it. It's so deep and wide and strong. And he says, as it begins to flood, it begins to bring life all around the banks of it. It, Like trees and leaves and fruit begin to grow up along the sides of it because this river is bringing life to where a desert was. Is bringing life to a parched land. And Jesus says two things. He's saying, this is who I am. Out of me, I'm the true temple who's going to be destroyed and raised up and, and, and uh, raised up in three days. But also, that's what I do in your life. That out of you might flow rivers of living water. Four things, I think four things that that means for us. Just think with me for a second about what that means. Because when that begins to happen in your life, here's four things that happen. Number one. You will, feel, you will feel full in ways you never have before. You will feel full in ways you've never felt full before. Um, the answer when you're feeling empty, the answer when you're feeling dry, is not to go to whatever your chosen thing, idol, chosen behavior, chosen addiction is. The answer is to take it to Jesus. And in your emptiness and in your dryness, go to him and let him fill you with this living water. Think about, we did this trip, I've mentioned a couple times, cross country, and on the way home we stayed in Las Vegas, which doing Las Vegas with kids, I don't recommend it, because the first thing that happened is my daughter sees this billboard of, of literally topless men, 
And we can hear her process it. We see it. We hope she doesn't see it. We can hear her process it in the back seat. She is looking at it, and all she says is, those boys, those boys are gross boys. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry you have to see that. Glad you think it's gross. Um, We get to the hotel, though, and this hotel has the most amazing pool I've ever seen in my life. Like, this is not, I'm not kidding. We stay at the Hard Rock Hotel, which is not, again, apparently it's like the party hotel on weekends. We're there in the middle of the week. We're safe. We're, 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 it's not the ideal place for kids, but we, we made it. Jesus was gracious to us. So we go to this pool, though, and it's the most incredible pool I've ever seen. It's a saltwater pool, but it's got a sand, like, sand bottom, like a sort of like a, um, like a sand substitute bottom. And so literally, it's got like a shore. Like my family and I were just like lounging on the shore as like couples were making out behind us, <laughs> which is also another dream thing to see your subject your kids to. But like I'm revealing a lot about you, namely that I'm not a great dad. Um, but this pool was, so, it was incredibly, I mean, I can't describe to you how life-giving it was to like be in a pool without waves or like nasty, salty stuff getting in your eyes and knowing that people have probably peed in there. Um, just relaxing pool with this incredible sand bottom you can just rub your feet into. And when I think about what Jesus is doing in us, it's something like that. He's making us something incredibly refreshing in the lives of others. He's making us something, a place where people come and find refreshment. And that's a question for you. Are you, are you, a, are you a person where people can come and find refreshment because you have found the ultimate refreshment in Jesus? Which leads me to the second thing. You not only feel full in ways you never have before, you will go from being a drain to being a fountain. You will go from being someone who sucks and sucks and sucks and takes and takes and takes to someone who gives and gives and gives and brings life into the lives of others. You'll no longer be a person who looks to everyone in your life for approval to make you happy. You'll be a person who knows the approval of Jesus and therefore you're always happy because you know what he thinks of you. You'll go from being a person who is like a tick living on a dog that has to have life and steal life from your, from your friends to being a person who is like a fountain that brings life and refreshment uh, to, and to the lives of your friends. Why? Because your refreshment comes from Jesus. Third, things will begin to grow along the banks of your life that haven't grown there before. Things will begin to grow that are surprising to you. Namely, the fruits of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, which is joy, peace, patience, love, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Those fruits will begin to grow in your life in ways they've never grown before. And it's going to be, you know, that's why I love the picture in Ezekiel 47 where literally trees and leaves and fruits that, that bless the life of those around you begin to grow around the city. And that's what it looks like to be a believer. That, that things begin to grow in your life that you never would thought of grown there before. And this is the last thing I want you to see. That those who are most filled with the Spirit, some of you are thinking, is my heart a, a river flowing with living water? And some of you think, I don't know that it is. And what I want you to see is part of the way this works, part of the way the Spirit works, is that often those who are most filled with the Spirit, often those who are most filled with Him, are, are, are those who don't feel like they are, are those that don't see it. And the reason they don't see it is they have true humility. And what true humility is, is not false humility that says, ah, I'm so bad, but praise me, praise me. True humility is saying, listen, if you only knew half the story about how bad I am. Yeah, I love the story out of Charles Spurgeon's life where he was a preacher in London. And this lady came, he was sitting, he was standing outside of a service. And this lady came and said, I, I, I can't stand you. I heard, I saw you smoking a cigar the other day. And I thought, what kind of a Christian smokes a cigar? He was a big cigar fan. 
And she just chews him out in front of all of his friends, and she goes away. And his friends are waiting to see what he's going to say. And all he simply says is, if she only knew the other half of the story. And what he's saying is, listen, if she only knew knew what I was really like and why I need Jesus. If she only knew the depths of the sin in my own heart. And I think that's one of the ways, I love the quotes, if you look at it about Luther and Calvin. Luther says, the spirit remains only with those who feel their wretched condition, but few are aware of this. Calvin, he says, he exhorts all to partake of his blessings so long as they are aware of their own poverty and want to be helped. It is the office of the Spirit, therefore, to give us an appetite for grace. Those, here's the thing, those who are most full of the Spirit are those who are the thirstiest. And because they are the thirstiest and the most keenly aware of their thirst, they're the ones to whom grace is the most glorious thing in the world. This is why the thing I keep thinking about, and this is the title of the sermon, the thing I keep thinking about the Dos Equis guy saying, stay thirsty, my friends. That's the life of a believer. You're staying thirsty for Jesus. You're staying thirsty for your need for him. You never outgrow your need for him. And if you do, the way you know you've outgrown your need for him is you can sing songs about the cross and they're a little bit boring. Or you can sing things about Jesus and you feel a little bit, uh, done there, been there, done that. We never get past our need. I love this story. I don't know if you've read Unbroken, Angelina Jolie's uh, doing the movie, and which, is, which scares me on a lot of levels. But it's an incredible story of Louis Zamperini. And he's this World War II, who survives, and this, he, he basically, it's, an, it's a remarkable story on many levels. But part of the story is his plane crashes in the Pacific Ocean. He and three friends are in a lifeboat. They literally are there for weeks and weeks. The sun is beating down on them. They're beginning to die of thirst. They're beginning to get hungry and die of hunger. Zamperini prays. He says, Lord, if you ascend rain that we can gather and drink, I will give myself to you. And this incredible thing happens, the Lord does. And sends this rain, they gather it, they drink it. That's how Louis Zamperini actually became a Christian. What I love about that story is, is that literally how he became a Christian? Is the Lord poured out water into his life, but it's an image of how all of us become a Christian. We're dying of thirst, and we cry out to him that he would give us the living water that we so desperately need. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you would, um, some of us are thirsting, we don't know it, and I pray that you would buy your, pour out your spirit in us that we might see our thirst. Some of us are trying to quench our thirst in places um, that aren't working, And Lord, I pray that you would pour out your spirit and lead us to the only one who can quench our thirst. Lead us to you. And let us drink deeply. Let us drink deeply of your love. Let us drink deeply of your grace. Let us drink deeply of who it is that you are for us. We pray these things for Christ in your name. Amen. Unsentimental Driving around Sure of myself Sure of it now You stand this close to me Like the future was supposed to be In the aisles of the grocery In the blocks of town I remember Remember well But if I'd forgotten Could you tell In the shadow of your first attack I was questioning and looking back You said, baby, we don't speak of that Like a real aristocrat